Hello, listeners, and welcome to Talk to Touch, the weekly podcast where I discuss living an LGBTQ plus life to build a strong and united community, because connection starts with open conversation. I am your host, Denver Shy. Hey, Tom, this is round two. Bless <laughs> you. Thank you for joining me again. You're a star. We're, we're, we're back again. The viewers couldn't, probably won't tell that it's a new day, isn't it? It we is. Had to, we, we, we had to work for the day. We had to go to university, get our projects done. And now we're back again. Yes. I sat down this morning and actually knuckled down to some proper assignments like the <laughs> photography. I got some written work done. I started my artist research for photography. So, yeah, we did actually uh, have a working day. And I got up at five. So that was cool. I know. There you go. You've beaten that should, me. That should be illegal, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, Tom, today I, I really thought it'd be great to talk to you about the items you, several things actually. So like the items you wear, what they mean to you. Because, I mean, that padlock and chain around your neck, that that really does stand out. And I cannot have this interview and not ask you about it I mean that would just be completely rude but before we get there because I think that would be fascinating talking about like the bandanas and the things that you wear Mm -hmm. I wanted to ask you about when you were growing up and then you knew you were gay kind of at what age you you realized that did you even realize that's what you were or you just knew you were different some people talk about knowing that they were were different and weren't able to put a name on it what what was your story? Yeah, I think it's twofold, Denver. So I think I follow the same route that you were just mentioning there a few seconds ago about how you kind of think you're a bit different. For me, it was when kind of, I think I was about 11 or 12, I first started secondary school and I was, I was the Nokia Motorola kind of era, of, era just before smartphones, but phones with a 3G service came oh, in. Oh, wow. Like, and it, we were at the age back in secondary school when we started to explore explore we'd, what we did in the bedroom by looking online. We were being mm. mischievous, looking at these naughty words that you'd hear that older older people talk about really up, up in school in year 10 or year 11. You start to look at that. And I think to myself, you know, you, you'd start to watch sex online be, mm. be, being quite black and white. And from my side, I kind of assumed that I liked girls men on girl girl on girl action the stereotypical kind of mm. route really but a year or so passed by no, no no experiences at all at that time I thought to myself guys oh, it's it, it, it's not it's not really clicking it's, no. it's not clicking <laughs> uh, and then you think oh you're a bit different so let's and I remember I think it was one site it would have been Pornhub where you look over and there's there's the straight section and there's oh there's this thing called gay really and I thought oh god gay that that's obviously something that's obviously a word in secondary school that was slurred around in a negative way I thought mm. oh, let, 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 let's just pop into that world a bit and see what it's like and yeah you go through the stages of uh, um, neglect not wanting to know about it because what you just looked at is against what the social norm was but I knew around the ages of 12 13 that was a little bit different and it probably really came to senses that I was gay when I was about 14 or 15 or so when I started to realize what all things LGBT were doing a bit of background research clearing my history just in case yeah um, <laughs> my, my, just in case mum and dad found out you know um but I think when I actually came even 
before I came out as gay, I did the stereotypical, and it's still very common, it's absolutely fine to do this, a stepping stone kind of phase where you say to mum and dad, oh, I'm actually, you know, I like guys and girls. So I came out as bisexual first. Ah, uh, okay. And I was kind of open like that, but I knew as a fact that I was, in fact, 100% gay AF. Mm. Uh-huh. So I didn't, I think it took about six or seven months for me to come to senses and kind of think to yourself, Tom, what are you doing? You're definitely not, and you can't be bisexual for for any longer with your parents and, and <laughs> friends or so. So then I came out as a full-blown unicorn. And, just, <laughs> I, and, and that, I think that, that's, my, that's my coming out story. And with the help of my ex at the time and a few of my university friends, it took me enough courage uh, yeah. to go ahead and come out. Okay. Do you have any siblings, Tom? I've got a younger brother who is five years younger than okay. me. That's his name. Okay. How did your family respond to your sexuality how did they respond to you being gay because there's always that thought I think for some of them oh there's going to be no grandchildren not that everybody has to have children the last thing on my mind is having kids never ever 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 gonna happen (laughs) and in fact I still remember telling my mum I I mean I did think about it for a while but I remember telling my mum when I was about 17 just so you know I'm never having children she was not happy and I tell you what I was true to my word never gonna happen <laughs> never never, never. Ever. and obviously, no. obviously these days with generations coming on in and so, so it's kind of a lot more accepting to be more at peace with that for mm. relatives to take a take less you know to be more at peace with it in general as well but do you know what funny enough I think the first person who I actually came out to as gay in terms of my family was my younger brother because I knew for a fact that whilst my brother is actually the polar opposite of me in terms of firstly straight straight as a ruler honestly <laughs> like he's the stereotypical 20 21 year old lads lads lad he loves his rugby loves his mates loves his drinking university history of a you know, girlfriends or so but I found the um the need to come out to him first because I knew that he would get it actually okay. more than my I assumed that he would get it mm. quicker and he would understand more than my parents because he's kind of even though he was, God, I came out to him when I, he was only 14, 15. I okay. Think. I remember when I dog walked and I came out to him as gay, I said, I can't, I said, listen, Max, I can't, almost like hold him. I, said, I, can't, I can't take this much longer, <laughs> oh, really. Um, he, he didn't, he, he, he didn't really have an inkling, but he didn't have any hunch or so, because at the time I was actually very straight acting. Okay. Some would even still call me straight acting now. Uh, regardless of how many glasses of wine I've I've sunken, really. Um, but I can't I, wait I, to see that yeah, one. I can't wait to see that one. <laughs> I can't wait. But I, I came out to Max first. That was absolutely fine. He promised mm. he wouldn't tell and stuff like that. So I was very, very thankful with him for that. Um, when I came out to my dad, so um, FYI, my dad is German, 100% German. He He's a very liberal man okay. really and and I've known that since a young age very easygoing go with the flow with him being German he can be quite black and white and quite to the point um mm. just a stereotypical German really and love him to bits for that when I came out to him as fully blown gay um as well as being bisexual he had yeah. no issue with it at all he he just said to me asked me the question you know when are you going to tell mum when are you going to tell mum because I was more worried about mum telling mum and my mum knows this now um 
and she, she has done for years because it took more it, it took more spunk in me to, to come out to her definitely so about I think two or three weeks after possibly it was around the Christmas period when I was back home after university came out to her took her I mean I, mem- I remember I came out to her the day before I had to go back to university it's probably bad on my behalf because I, I'm leaving back home to go up to Nottingham and I've just told my mum and she was probably spiralling about it. Mm. So we actually, two or three weeks later, I was coming back home anyway. We caught up in a pub about a really chilled, relaxed environment, gave her some time to process it. More than anything, she was absolutely fine with it, but more than anything, she had that kind of real mum nature about it. Yeah. She said, like, Tom, I just want you to be safe, Aww. not only from a personal perspective, in terms of uh, the friends who I can find and speak to. She, she comes from a real corporate background. And I think kind of she had kind of maybe still at the time her corporate head on mm. thinking when you're in a workplace environment, because I was looking at apprenticeships and internships okay. at the time thinking just, I think she was just kind of saying to me, be careful in that space. Mm. Um, and I kind of had to refer to her and just kind of say, look, appreciate you 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 do kind of support me and want to look out for me in that environment, but nothing's going to change how mm. I present myself in a workplace environment. Really, and as the years have gone on, I've I'm completely transparent with with with, with my work in terms of who I am. Mm. Don't you think it's funny? Just as a quick aside, how you know it's just weird, isn't it? Somebody is straight; they don't need to come out about it. They don't mm-hmm. need to tell the world about it. They don't have to come out like several times a week, a month, a year and say, oh, I'm straight. And yet as queer people, as gay people, we have to keep coming out. We have to keep saying it. And it all comes mm-hmm. down to people's ideas of, and thoughts of who you have sex with and what you're doing while you're doing it. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of assumptions that all gay men engage in anal sex and that's actually not a fact Mm. and I think you'd probably find there's a lot of straight couples that engage in as just as much anal sex as anybody in the queer community it's not you know anal sex isn't a a gay man thing it's just a sex thing you Mm. know if you have an anus you can get involved in that but I think a lot of people have that it's the first thing they they think about yeah. And yet it's there's more to it than that. It's a bit like you said yesterday um, about you and your partner. There, It's a loving relationship. There's got to be connection first. There's got to be mm. just friendship, just being able to communicate and just being able to sit in each other's company without wanting to rip each other's throats out. You know, there's yeah. so much more to relationships than what goes on in the bedroom. And yet that's the thing that people feel they need to know about. Yeah, it's quite interesting. I've obviously, I'm, I will never be, firstly, I will never be straight. <laughs> it's just a fact that everybody has to know. Hello. Hallelujah. Um, but, but, but secondly, because of that, I will never, if, if I are, if somebody says to me, and let's assume in a, in a parallel universe that I was straight and somebody said to me, oh, I'm gay, I will never know what that feeling is like of mm. kind of, when somebody said, um, um, let's assume it's a man who says that yeah. to me, I will never have that feeling or situation of me instantly thinking of that man who's just said mm. to me that he's gay having intercourse with yeah. another man, really. I yeah. think when, with us in the queer community, 
we we obviously when we see or speak to somebody who we either assume or know is is straight it's just it, it's just what, what whatever really yes. who, who who cares really yeah. um but it, it, it's a really good point I think a lot of people do have to come out every single day or every single week for some people it can be easier for others some mm. people don't give a toss however yeah. some people regardless of, it, of if they're early on in their coming out stage or 20 30 40 years and that they can still find it difficult to come out depending on who is receiving that mm. news absolutely and uh it, it's it's a burden it really used to be for me yeah. um it's quite interesting to, alongside the topic of coming out I do feel like people who uh, want to be more open and publicly recognized as being fetish men fetish women fetish mm. individuals there is it, this very much feels like a second coming out to yeah. them Fortunately and unfortunately, unfortunately, this what we're talking about here and what we've got here in terms yeah. of items, everything is 10 hundred times more taboo compared to being just an open homosexual, for example. Mm. This this is almost another, it's a world in a world, really. Yes. It, it, it's a subculture which a lot of people don't still don't know about. Some people don't want to know about it. Some people are keen and interested in it, but mm. it's still a taboo. And unfortunately, there's a second coming out stage which not not many people talk about and recognize but if you want to be open about your your kinks and your fetishes and what you wear and how you act you really have to go through a second coming out which is kind of what I'm going through now almost and and an an interview like this for example is really at the start I thought oh this is pushing me out of my comfort zone but I'm doing this being being selfish I'm doing this for myself Mm. as well as why we're here today as yeah well. i'm here tom i'll catch you it's fine <laughs> i'll catch you you'll grab me in my arms you. jack yeah <laughs> you'll be just fine <laughs> so going on to the point actually of the items i was so interested when i saw the the chain around your neck and the padlock that i really wanted you to be able to share the items that you wear and be able to share the items that you enjoy wearing the most when you've done that I definitely want to talk about the hanky code and mm. the the colors and we'll come we'll come back to that but tell me a bit about the the chain around your neck and you you showed the hat there share share that with us yeah sure wow um where to start so yeah if you talk about the chain in particular first of all the items that you've set here and some of the items that I've got on the table here that you can't see these don't need to be a mandatory part of anybody's wardrobe mm. if they want, if they're interested in getting into leather, really. These are just maybe some stereotypical things, really, that can get you started, possibly, and have, have a think. Um, so first thing about the chain, a chain is almost a sign to somebody, if you're in a pub, if you're in a bar, if you're in a club, or just walking down the street, it's a sign to say that the individual who is wearing this lock, the, the, this this lock slash chain or whatever mm. material is holding up the lock to say that that individual is to some extent owned by a significant other or a group okay. of other people. So it's more of like more or less a, like a BDSM part of the relationship. Absolutely. In my example, really, my partner Chris, um, when we first got together, this was almost something that signified I am the more submissive part of our submissive half of of our full circle basically Mm. Chris could represent a little bit more of dominance I could be that more submissive part of the puzzle basically Mm. hence why I've got this around my chain it's to show that I'm yeah as I said that o word owned really Mm. um that, that that's kind of what it represents with that in mind we talked about fashion yesterday and 
I think um, whilst fortunately it's a lot more acceptable to wear something like this in public, you're into fashion. You've probably seen as well it, with recent brands like Off-White, for example, they Virgil, before he passed away and before he ha- handed it on to whoever else now, he started to incorporate a lot of chains mm. into his work. He got mm. plenty of mannequins of people on the runway to wear kind of chains like this with or without mm. locks. So it kind of yeah. changed it changed what people who maybe aren't in our community saw oh if that person's walking with a, a, a chain and a lock that might be seen as a fashion thing. I mean in the, I think it was in the nineties Louis Vuitton actually released a load of locks locked locks with the LV mm. on it. And when the nineties fashion came back into play even now or a few years ago, a lot of people started to wear these locks and chains around and kind of it kind of may it kind of created a bit of mixed messaging in terms yes. of how people represented themselves. But most people who are in the community would recognize that if somebody's got a lock and some sort of material, it doesn't have to be a steel mm. chain. It can be a bit of leather, for example, and it doesn't have to be a big Larry one. It can be a smaller one, however they want it to look like it represents that person is most likely owned but it's always good you can always ask that question to them yeah as well really um, yeah if they're okay answering it really mm. so yeah cool I was gonna ask did you did you put the padlock and chain around your neck or do, did Chris do that you know what I mean I kind of like a, a symbolism thing do you know what I mean yeah it's almost like like a ritual thing as yeah. well really I, I think it was Chris who put it around so I think in terms of where you purchase or look into these things mm. actually um this was <laughs> so it's, it's almost a stereotype here in the UK we have a shop called B&Q so it's almost B&Q is the <laughs> informal kink shop actually <laughs> they're, they're, they're about two <laughs> I think they say it's Walmart in America is yeah the, uh, something be, like that anyway it could yeah. be Walmart they're like they're like two <laughs> they're like two miles in B&Q you can walk into and there's an array of different widths and lengths of rope material yes, there are that's right. padlocks there are steel chains there are um, metal cutters around the place yeah so that so in essence for example we went into B&Q we got this one mm. uh, Chris already had this this chain for example so we kind of put put two and two together and then he put it on me maybe on that day or the day after I can't really remember and that was the day in which um we kind of got together in a loving relationship. We we started to see each other. We after we met online and started to see each other in person. But when it, we got more committed, we'd say, "Oh, let, let let's put this around Tom's neck, basically." And um, there there are rules and there can be rules uh, involved with wearing this chain. So, firstly, I don't have to wear this all of the time because I firstly don't want to because it interrupts my work. Yeah. My, my 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 work lifestyle with me seeing customers I, I don't feel comfortable wearing this you know they'd for, ask for, you for don't example. you well exactly it's like, ooh, ooh, and someone. actually can you do your collar up <laughs> yeah exactly exactly um that's that's another point as well so mm. firstly that there's the rule aspect so it could be a case that if you're only clubbing you wear this to signify yeah. that you're owned by somebody if mm. you you wear this only in the evenings when you're or mornings or the evenings when you're done with work, for example, or you only wear it when you're in BDSM play scenarios, for example, different rules for different people. So you don't have to follow. Mm. There's not one guide. It's all very fluid on, on, on the case of kind of how to unlock it. It's, it's not rocket science, but most of these, you can need a key. Some are kind of passcode combinations that you put on garden fences really, or yeah, yeah garden gates sorry to keep keep them locked mm. um 
so it, you obviously need a key and it's it's dependent you could you could i could have left the key with chris but that wouldn't make any logistical sense because chris is based a, a, quite a while away from mm. me so i have to have my own key swap in my room yeah i've got it i've got it to, to unlock it when i go to work for yeah example. oh cool i noticed you have a leather cuff there share, share with me about mm. the cuff because i believe now i know you can correct me here so this is cool so the left side is the dominant side and the right side is the submissive side. Yeah, if, if you're following kind of old traditions, okay. that, which, which are still kind of hand, uh, handed down through generations, you are absolutely mm -hmm. right. Okay, so with the cuff, tell me about that. What does it mean wearing, mm. wearing the cuff? Yeah, so the cut. I, I don't know what the angle looks like on. Yeah. Or what 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 this is going to look. like. I can like. see. Yeah, it's a. Uh, it's your right arm is facing my my uh, left. I had to okay. think about that. Yeah. <laughs> left. <I> <laughs> Me too, definitely. So from my side, I, I have this uh, leather um, bit of clothing on my right mm -hmm. arm, basically. Okay. You can call it um, an armrest, you can call it a, a wristband, you can call it whatever, basically. Mm. Um, it's used for two purposes. One, what you mentioned here, to signify mm -hmm. what someone's preferences are in terms of being more dominant or submissive. You can even wear two. You can wear one on each arm to represent you like a bit of both basically mm -hmm. but then secondly a lot of these wristbands also act as a holder for cash as you oh, can see perfect yeah so in a lot of clubs out and about still to this day um the old traditions could be that no card is is, is allowed no uh, kind of credit or debit card are allowed to pay for drinks or entry for example and okay. depending on what items of clothing you're wearing that you might not have pockets you know that so is good. a it's, really it's good, good idea so what have i got in here i've got some I, got, that was going to be my next question you know that don't you i've got yeah i i used well i went to berlin last month so and that they they've got a lot of traditional bars that don't include cards so i've only got i've got i've got a pound coin i've got a <laughs> couple of couple of 20 p's which and these are obviously all going to be changed because this has the queen's head on it in the next oh. year or so so <laughs> So that that so that's what it's used for. Um, really, you don't have to keep it on twenty four seven because mm -hmm. it would stink. You would become insanely sweaty. Mm -hmm. If you're into that, then go you. Basically, they come in all different sorts of colors, shapes, mm -hmm. sizes. I got this one from a fetish shop in London, and it was one mm -hmm. of the first pieces I got. Really, um, yeah. But that, that that that's kind of what it is, really. And it it looks almost yeah, a little bit almost like you're um, you've got a bit of a half of a gaunt look. On yeah. as well and there are gloves that are called gauntlets that you can wear in the leather communities these, these real big ones that go up so about here oh right okay also but that, that's another that's another cool. bit, bit, bit of clothing really an Excellent. accessory so what else do you have there on your I've table got, i've got a few bits and pieces i'll start off um head to shoes then so this is probably one of the main pretty much more iconic you know yes. accessories such bit of yeah. bits of clothing that you wear so uh -huh. these are called muir caps um I'm pretty sure that's worldwide. They're, they're called Neocaps. Mm. Um, you can get these secondhand. You can get these brand new. You can get these with or, with or without a particular um, uh, particular badge mm. on, on the top of it, really. You can kind of, you can stretch these to make it a little bit tighter if you want to. Okay. They're pretty normal sizes that they come around. They usually come with a bit of a, a bit of a pocket here which you can put in from my set. I haven't got my phone number because I don't want everybody to have my phone. No, do but not. I, but I've got, a use, I've got my username for a popular um, social media 
a fetish social media site, basically. So if this is lost, somebody can contact me through there. Excellent. So it, it, it comes in handy. Thank you. It, it hasn't does. Yet. Um, oh and this is the interesting thing is historically, actually, a lot of people, if I don't mention this, I think a lot of people would flag this to me, but historically, mule caps have actually seen as a more uh, dominant bit of a bit of clothing to wear. Actually, it should have maybe stereotypically been the only people who are a bit more dominant, a bit more active okay. um, should wear this. But the the rules have kind of altered and changed a bit, considering that this is such an iconic a bit of a mm. bit, 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 bit of clothing, a bit of leather to wear. Yes. It should be treated with a lot of care. A mule cap. It's almost it's almost it's almost the icing on the cake in terms of someone's outfit and um it's best practice firstly for only the owner of the hat to put it on and off there have been there have been countless pride events that i've seen leathermen walking past in which people are trying to take their hat off say oh can i can i try it on for example Mm. and that's probably one of the most cringy questions that a leatherman (laughs) could could be asked because they don't want to because they'd just be afraid that they'd either get it dirty messy or run off with it even yes so yes it's, it's quite a symbolic bit of bit bit of clothing really and one of those items that kind of um for example if you're wearing full leather without this you might not get as many looks compared to if you're wearing this the mindset changes actually and a lot of people will look at you they'll look at you up and down they might look at you weirdly they might give you a bit of a grin a smile or a bit of a nod to say this looks like a, a bloody amazing outfit um the, funny enough this mule cap actually came without a badge <clears throat> I was going to ask you if you can change the badges, actually. Yeah, most of the time it's best practice not to change it because I had to put through a couple of pins to put this, uh, sorry, I had to put through a couple of holes on the left and the right to put this badge through, actually. Mm. Um, you don't want to tamper around with it too much, but a dear, friend, <coughs> a dear friend of mine who had this on one of his older meerkaps, he went through his old kind of storage boxes and he got this one out for me because he knew that I was keen to find one. Um, and it goes on to another topic of kind of, um bringing leather down generations as well yes. it's kind of seen in the community as quite a um a privilege almost to for a piece of leather to be handed down with you because the previous owner who owned that bit of leather might have really seen it as a, a pretty iconic item in their yes. collection and, and if that's handed down and bear in mind that leather these days can be quite dear so if you're thinking from yeah. a money perspective which mo- that's not the intention really but the intention of handing down a bit of leather is to say, I want you to appreciate and have fun in what I wore, basically, because yeah. this was a big part of my how many years or decades that you've owned that bit of item. I want to hand it down to you because I trust you wearing it. Yeah. I respect you, for example. So it's quite a um, it's quite a bit of a, it's, it's a bit of a heartfelt touch. Almost like, oh, yeah. wow, you, you can't you, I give so many thank yous to somebody who would hand down a bit of leather. Because they last, I mean, they you know they can last years. Yeah. If you I look mean, after leather, it will last years. Yeah, I mean, we can have a. There are people who are ten times more expertise than me in terms of how they look after their leathers. Really, that's a whole converse. That's a whole interview, really, in itself. Really, <laughs> how to look after your leathers. But if you, it's similar to yourself. If you look after yourself, you're you're going to last yeah. years longer. It's the same with leather, basically. If you if you do your cleaning, if you do your, if you, if you moisturize the leather almost like, like, yes. like you know, put keels on your face, for example, <laughs> it, it's going to last longer than, than what, you know, average shelf life is. Oh, absolutely. Do you have yeah. anything else on that table, Tom? Yes, I have. Um, I have one more thing, actually. This, okay. um, this is actually, I don't know if this was actually historically, or this is just a, a 
full on fetish item. This is a dog collar, mm. actually. So dog collar, um, you don't have to be into the puppy side of our community yes. as well. I know what you a mean. dog, mm-hmm. a dog collar. This is something that you can wear on going back to the left and the right of parts of yes. your body. This is what I'd wear on the right side of my body, for example, okay. to represent the fact that I am more submissive. Mm. It can represent the fact that you are or you're not owned or you'd want somebody to collar you or take you around with it, for mm. example, or so, uh, or treat you like a puppy can represent many, many things as well. But it's just a little, a little, a, a cute little accessory, really, Yay! To, 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 to almost have. Um, so that's a really nice one to wear when you're wearing some jeans for example mm. that that was handed to me um and then the final one which is almost the a bit of a byproduct of what every leather leather man should have is just uh just just a real classic biker jacket oh wow more more, more that than looks anything. heavy it, it it packs a bit of weight so when, when you're traveling around um yeah be, be mindful with the fact that this this, this weighs a fair bit really and it's it, <coughs> i mean i mean this i i got this from camden market i got this for a real good price you just try things on and this is the great thing about leathers that you can get it from secondhand markets you can get them handed down to you or you can buy them off the rack in 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 a fetish shop really and i think in terms of leather jackets you can't go i'm not even talking about brands or anything you can't go wrong with like a real kind of nice 50s 60s looking biker jacket that you'd see in obviously tom of finland's work or in greece lightning Mm -hmm. you know thinking back to real good culture pop culture mm. moments like that really so yeah a biker jacket it's it's almost a byproduct of every leather man's wardrobe and they should look after it. and we haven't even mentioned brands I think brands <laughs> are, brands are something that people shouldn't really take take much attention to really people like different brands in the leather community oh. but it's not the be all and end all really especially for people who are who are first starting off getting mm. the first bits of leathers really which is and it can as I mentioned it can be quite expensive so that's why I'm always a huge advocate of getting a mixture of secondhand stuff as well yes. as new stuff within good reason. Yes. I remember when we met at Pride, um, your your other half was saying that you about your trousers, because you he was talking about something old, something new, something borrowed, <laughs> something bought, I think he said. <laughs> and it good. was really funny. Yeah, so funny because and I think he was talking about was it your trousers? Because you mm. had all those um because you had it all laced up and there was all yeah. those holes and he, and he said oh don't fall because everything will pop out it was, <laughs> <laughs> that was so funny yeah the, the lace awesome the, the laces almost look like these is this That's what you're kind right. of referring to yeah yes. so kind of um yeah the the, the cross diagonal laces were so firstly those are um leather jeans that were handed down to me from my dear friend john who's based here in london mm-hmm. and he, he's had them for decades so it was a real privilege when he handed them down to me and I, I I've worn them every single week and I try to wear them almost every day really because they look and feel fantastic real old leather um yeah. and it yeah they just look so fantastic and you know m- most people wear leather obviously for but that makes them feel and look good we talked about confidence in the last yet uh, yet y- yesterday but obviously you can wear it for different styles as well obviously that they've got those diagonal laces through them and that could maybe represent a bit more of a kinky side of you compared to just wearing a straight fit pair of leather jeans. So yes. yeah, that that I, I that they are upstairs. Don't worry, I haven't sold them or I haven't, no, they were fab. I haven't given them to a charity shop. That they're, they're going to last me some time, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> so if you were to say, so for example, if I were to say to you, um, you could only wear one item of leather. 
which item would you choose? Oh. I know that's unfair because you really did look fantastic that day. And it must be really difficult for you to choose, but you can only wear one item of leather. What would it be? Gosh, for the rest of my life? I'll be kind. I'll say a week. A week. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be kind. <laughs> Gosh, I depend. I depends. It's probably a bit of clothing that makes me feel good. I, you can break it down into maybe something that's very versatile that you can wear with, with with most looks. In that case, I would probably choose this bar vest that I'm wearing. Okay. Right now, the bar vest, it's got a few patches on the back with kind of my London Leathermen um, and a couple of other clubs that I'm, that I'm a member of and some bits and pieces. That, that's a good way of showcasing who, who you mm. represent if you are representing. If, if it's just a more symbolic thing, um, I'd have to probably say my Muircap, actually. So this bad boy here because it's it's whether you're by yourself with a group of friends when when you wear something like that Mm. um you you just your confidence that level completely peaks it goes over goes over 100 percent you know (laughs) so i i'd probably say either between one of those two depending on how your question is perceived okay i should have said if you were stuck on a desert island i was trying to be kind (laughs) i I, I guess i made that too easy yeah, you can really go very tactical into that. You could be like, "Oh, I just want to. I, I buy a big leather trench coat because I can, you know, keep myself warm when it gets when it gets freezing at night." Yeah, that's <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. So, when you got into um, kink and leather, did you know you would be submissive, or is that something? Is that kind of like a role you uh, fell into? Because I don't imagine. Mm. I mean, do correct me, but I don't imagine getting into kink and leather and suddenly oh I'm gonna be a sub or I'm gonna be a dom Mm. I think um in my mind I imagine it would be an experimental phase and then you fall Mm. into a role which you feel more um I was not good I don't know if comfortable is the right word but anyway you know what 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 was that for you but I think the if if you're looking at trends which you should look at with a pinch of soul actually the trend if you speak to people at a social you ask them a question firstly uh what's your age how long have you been a leather man or, or fetish man um and kind of what your what your preferences in terms mm. of um being more dominant or submissive the trend seems to be that people who start off who are perceived to be maybe a, a little bit younger would be more submissive and in kind of more traditional BDSM relationships um the more dominant partner is there to not only dominate um not only to dominate the sub but also to look after them train them the the word training is quite important as well I'm not a professional in all of this by the way as well but it's a case of kind of training them and maybe even showcasing them how to be more dominant actually so mm. it's kind of a bit of a mentorship aspect yeah. in and that that's why there's a bit of a trend that younger people start off as more submissive because they are being mentored by more experienced individuals in our community um now that that's kind of that can be one stereotypical route that's the route that I'm actually taking at the moment if I take a step back and reflect on my journey mm. so far um but you can see it completely change and it's all dependent I, th- I think a lot of corporate companies, for example, you do lots of behavior profiles and you kind of, you are put into a box in terms of what color you are, what letter mm. you are. I, I've done that a couple of times. And um, 
you can either keep the same personalities either in the workplace as well as at home as in your personal life or they can flip instantly um so for example that there's i think there's a there's a stereotypical, the stereotypical example could be um back when kind of dominatrix mm. dominatrix were when women were a thing yeah know, when they really started off um in like all the clubs and when all the mm. men would go there the men would be finished their very um high profile executive suit wearing yeah. roles in the big city in like a canary wharf or down mm. in manhattan for example and they'd go to these bars where they would be dominated in their personal life because they want that almost um they want that release yes. from, 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 from their life so for some people it could be the um I'm I'm not assuming things. So, for example, let, let's assume that I was a I've got a really high profile role, and I, I I get back home, and I actually want to be more submissive in 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 general. Really, I don't know what that trend looks like for me, but um, it's it, it's all very relative. So, it's, you can have a real good discussion with somebody about their 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 preferences, really, and it could be completely different to what you are. Mm. I mean, lo- loads of youngsters when they start off, I, I know this for a fact, they can be a hundred percent active and dominant um and it could be later on in their life that they want to try out the more submissive side of things actually um but for me I like that um that service aspect and that mentorship of somebody kind of guiding me Mm -hmm. um teaching me training me in a particular relationship um whilst obviously both parties are having fun and getting something out of it but that's the most important thing in these relationships to have reciprocation Mm -hmm. and to make sure that you're both getting the most out of it um because I think there is a stereotype when people start to learn more about these BDSM style of relationships that only the only the top or only the dom or the active yeah gets their wicked way for example and Mm. that's really not the case both part both particular roles um we look after each other really check in with each other outside of scenes to check in how we're doing if we're okay um look after each other in terms of aftercare after a big scenes happen for example so yeah. it's not like all the time in these relationships there are 100% confirmed active slash dominant and mm. submissive or slash passive roles basically <laughs> so ho- hopefully that kind of answers things but that like everything single answer I might give there's not a one-size-fits-all no I can't imagine that that's the case because they're so because it's quite complex because you're dealing with people and they're not just a one size fits all there's so many different layers when it comes to individuals and you you start one way and then later down the road you might say actually I'm going to try this or I want to explore further Mm. and having someone at your side who will guide you but you know cares about your well-being um is is important because I just imagine it to be um quite difficult to explore that world on your own because the the fact is no one's an island we all no matter what you're doing you always need somebody to guide you and to help you and support you and particularly when it's something to do with your 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 well-being because there's a lot of mental and emotional um psyche that goes into this you know it's not mm-hmm. something i think you could just dive into and next thing you know you're doing the backstroke and you're well away it yeah. really would be you know what i need some guidance and people also need to to let you know when you're being safe or mm. Mm, no you know what you kind of need to break into that gently you know mm. just take your time guiding you to just step back and it's because it's got to be a stepping stone thing surely mm. because you know the last thing you want is somebody in a situation where 
now they're going to freak out because they have got themselves um, in over their heads and didn't mm. realize that emotionally they were just not ready for yeah. a particular role or thing. You know, it's it's handling that and guiding people. So like for yourself, Chris is an awesome guide for you and, and helping you and supporting you and checking in on your well-being as you as I know you will and do for him. Yeah, absolutely. I think, yeah, it's, it's a lot for you to take in, but everything that you've said is ticking boxes in my head, really. Uh, and I'm fascinated by that. Click on the next episode in the feed for the final instalment of this interview with Tom.